0: praise is yours alone, you're worthy, worthy of all. All our God is ever almighty, He's ever Almighty to save our God is ever almighty, He's ever Almighty.
1: Ever almighty say. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and as always, this program is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. In this week's episode, we're going to continue a conversation that we started last week with Brother Clint de France as he discusses some books that have had an impact on his life, some of his reading goals, and his top ten recommendations. All right, we're back with Clint now. And I've got just a couple more questions for you. want to go through in the second episode. We want to talk, first of all, about what are three books that in your reading history have had the biggest impact um, on you as a preacher, as you as a Bible student, and maybe three is too specific, but like in the three to five range, what's had a tremendous impact on your thinking?
2: I can give three. Three leapt into my mind immediately. And it speaks to our previous discussion about my my enjoyment of old books because the three are old. The three would be Robert Milligan's Reason and Revelation, Robert Milligan's The Great Commission. So he wrote two of them. Uh And then the third would be Carl Ketcherside's The Kingdom of the Messiah. And I'll explain why those three were extremely meaningful to me. I do not give a full endorsement to any of them course, I think that's true of most readers, but I want to stress that, especially a name like Carl Ketcherside, there's a lot of baggage attached to that name. He wrote this book at a season in his life when he was producing better material, enamored with unity and diversity. But uh, that book in particular, it, it has some negative things in it, but it's got some very helpful things too. Okay. Uh, Reason and Revelation was extremely faith-strengthening. It helped me to grasp the basic principles of hermeneutics. It helped me to understand the distinction between biblical miracles and the miracles of mythology and of contemporary religion, the miracle claims of contemporary religion. It helped me to understand uh, biblical prophecy. Milligan had some weird and aberrant views on prophecy, but his handling of the book of Daniel in particular was extremely uh, interesting to me and helpful to me, but his guidance and direction overall about how to be an effective Bible student, uh, that was a a tremendously beneficial book. He has material in his book about Bible and science, just like I said in in Uh our previous discussion, that's worthless. Uh And there's gonna be other things that you run across here and there, that you find not especially helpful. Uh-huh. But overall, I recommend that book. I recommend that book to anyone who wants to become a serious Bible student. Uh-huh. The book, uh, The Great Commission, helped me understand how to preach the gospel. It's, it might sound disappointing or sad, but I think a lot of people who are preachers would understand what I'm saying. I preached for several years before I really understood what it meant to preach the gospel. And if you'd asked me what is the gospel, I would have given you an incorrect answer. Uh I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't know how to to properly give the work of Christ the position that it owns Uh in God's plan of salvation. And Robert Milligan's Great Commission was marvelously helpful to me in that regard. Not only in that area, but there were little nuggets along the way. Milligan's discussion on whether or not in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a baptismal formula, Uh or whether it describes the purpose or the effect of baptism. That was excellent. His discussion about the Hebraism, the name, Uh and what does it mean when the Bible talks about the name of God or the name of Jesus? Outstanding material. His section about natural versus positive law was marvelous and uh, really helped shaped my understanding of that when I didn't hear it much from the pulpit. I didn't really understand that from teaching growing up, but I, I really came to terms with it in Milligan's book. There are other things as well. His his discussion of what it means to call on the name of the Lord okay. was good, and although it wasn't the best that I've ever heard. It was good. There were some very thoughtful sections there. And then I'll I'll lastly say about Ketcher book, The Kingdom of the Messiah. That book gave me a sense of the overarching story of the Bible and an understanding that the kingdom is not merely the institutional church, Uh but is a theme that is much larger in the Bible Uh that I needed and uh, I'd never had it really before. So I could add several books to this list on specific books of the Bible or topics like the resurrection of the body or the nature of the church or the eldership, but these are the first three that came to mind, and I think they came to mind for a good reason. They really helped make me who I am today.
1: When you're talking about the the kingdom of the Messiah by catcher's side and that concept of the kingdom being more than just the church, That was a concept that first came to me in Brother Doug Edwards' book, Drawing Water from the Wells of Salvation. And as a result of that, that book has had a standout moment in my mind, has really shaped a lot the way that I've thought. I feel like Brother Doug's book, I'm not just saying this because he's my uncle, I am proud that he's my uncle, but I feel like that's a very underappreciated book amongst our brethren that probably not all that many have actually read cover to cover. It's more challenging than what people want to initially start off with. I don't think it's a difficult read. I just think it's, it's not where people first start, but we need to get them to be able to read and appreciate that book and maybe appreciate that more than what we have, because it gives a tremendous background on prophecy and on the nature of the kingdom in general, and helps bridge the gap of the Old and the New Testament coming together in the life and ministry of Christ. I think that's really phenomenal book. And it's had the impact on me that you're
2: describing I've catch your sight on the same type of topic. Well, I wanna say something about that, that I could probably have the same testimony of Doug's book had I owned a copy earlier in life. Yep. But see, not being part of the family and not coming yep. from a preacher family, yep. uh, my family didn't buy a copy of it when it was available. Mm-hmm. And when I came on the scene and started preaching, the book had been out of print for some time, and uh, it has been unavailable hard to get a hold of for a lot of people today it's very hard to to find that book at least it has been in my experience
1: i've I've got copies for anybody that's listening um that's wonderful find wow. christian you know he brother Doug moved to Africa and when he did that, it kind of went out of circulation nobody was pushing it and he hasn't pushed it he's not a pushy or self promoter type of a person and I can admire that in him but I have reached out to him on a couple occasions. I've ordered multiple cases from him, and he still has a supply beyond what I have, apparently. But anyway, I'm trying to reintroduce that because there's a whole generation coming along that's never heard about, don't know anything about, never read it. It's a very, very helpful book.
2: And one of the, there's two things of value there. First of all, Carl Ketcher's side, he does come with baggage. Mm-hmm. When you endorse one book that he wrote, you have to be very careful not to endorse all of them. Right. Carl Ketcherside did not believe what I believe the Bible teaches about the relationship between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of this world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He believed in full-orbed participation in civil government. He believed Christians could fight in carnal war. Mm-hmm. So when I recommend Carl Ketcherside's book to people, I say read it in conjunction with David Lipscomb's Civil Government mm-hmm. and probably with a book like the es- An Eschatology of Victory by Marcellus Kick. Uh to get another perspective of Revelation 20 Uh because Ketcherside was also a continuous historical fellow when it came Uh to the book of Revelation and Uh his uh, handling of that part of the the biblical text was not the best either Uh but then you have the other issue that you know Doug he's a faithful gospel preacher Uh and there's something that there's a, a certain level of of trust The skepticism kind of falls away whenever we're listening to Doug, and it enables us to imbibe his teachings so much better, so much more. So I I think that this is a great opportunity to sound the urgent alarm to our faithful preaching brethren. You need to write more books. You need to write more books. Uh, People complain sometimes when we read literature by this man or that man, but if that's all there is, Uh What can we do?
0: Uh So
2: if people who have a a strong sense of uh, respect for the word of God, they know the gospel, they're disciples of Jesus Christ, and they're going to be men of faith, men of integrity, whose names won't be reproached after they're Uh dead. Those men need to be writing Uh more books for the church to read and study.
1: If you're listening to this, you need to pick up a copy of Doug's book, Drawing Water from the Wells of Salvation. Give it a read, and then write him a note and thank him for what he's done, and send some encouragement his way that he needs to write some more. I think Doug is an excellent Bible scholar, a good writer. I've I've enjoyed both his his book, his commentary on the God, the book of James, and he needs to he needs to be writing some more. Now that's that's coming from me, who's not writing anything at the moment. So I can. I can always throw shade other people's way. They need to everybody needs to be doing something, right? Um but I appreciate what he's done and that recommendation there. Before we go on to our our main discussion of your top 10 recommended reads, I want to ask one question here. Do you have any reading goals for each year that you set out to accomplish, whether you accomplish them or not by the by the wayside, but do you have any goals getting started?
2: Well, I do. I make a list every year of books that I want to read. Every year I try to read through the entire Bible in a different translation. I don't have a regimented, this is how far I'm going to read today, kind of a Bible reading program. Not that I disparage those, but that's not what I have. I usually actually have an audio Bible that I'll listen to and then read along with it. So I'm working through the NIV this year. I've never gone through the whole NIV, so I'm working through the NIV. I'm still in the Pentateuch. And so I'm reading Paul Copan's Is God a Moral Monster. Okay. Uh, in the past, I always treated that like a reference book. And I really liked it as a reference book. I could ignore the parts that I, I wasn't a fan of and I could focus on the parts I liked. I'm reading through it now in proper form. Okay. And I have found some things I don't like and I've found some things I do. A lot of my reading, disciplined reading, is very structured. So I'm working through, like you have your reading groups, I've got a couple myself, and I'm working through the religious works of C.S. Lewis with a group of young men. We're about to finish Mere Christianity, and then we're going to read Miracles. Otherwise, this year, my reading's gonna focus on my special projects. I'm teaching some studies on church history, using James North's From Pentecost to Present, hermeneutics using Milton Terry's Biblical Hermeneutics, And the theology, the restoration movement. We're reading through Campbell's Christian system. So, like we talked about, trying to make it more manageable that way. Yeah. As I'm doing Acts for my podcast, reading a lot of books on Acts, a lot of commentaries and biblical theologies and introductions, historical backgrounds, and I'll give a little teaser for the first time ever revealed now on this podcast. (laughs) I'm thinking, in the midsummer to start doing two episodes a week and doing an Old Testament book concurrent with a New Testament book. And I'm, I'm planning at the moment on doing the book of Ecclesiastes. Nice. So I'm doing a lot of reading right there, and I imagine those things are going to take up the year. I won't have any time for anything else if I really dedicate my time to that.
1: Sure. Well, that's exciting to hear. Appreciate you letting us know about that. As you well know, as listeners know, I really enjoy the Old Testament a lot. Part of that is because it's, it's very lacking in my background. and I get excited about learning, and there's plenty on the table for me to learn out of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And I've really been enjoying the Old Testament. I've thought about doing a podcast on some Old Testament books. Part of that is that commitment I did that you talked about in the last episode. Um, but I'm really excited to to hear some out of the book of Ecclesiastes. We've got that coming up for us. All right. With no further ado, give us your top 10 uh, must-read books. And obviously, these can have caveats to them, pros, cons. You can discuss them at your leisure. But what are your top 10? And the reason I think this is important, I want to have a number of different preachers on the podcast to discuss this, is a lot of times people want to start reading, and they start asking, well, what should I read? And one of the things that I did as a young evangelist was rather than going to the bookstore and buying random books that looked interesting and and re- having a buyer's remorse later on was going to older preachers and asking them for their recommended reading. And they walked me through their libraries and I would take the lists that I compiled from each and I would compare them. And where b- books were listed on multiple lists, those were the ones that I started targeting first in my book buying. And so I would buy top recommendations from Brethren and start reading them. Now, some of those I found helpful. Others, I wasn't at a reading level where I could digest and appreciate what was being recommended. So I've had to kind of work up to it, if you will. Some I'm still trying to work up enough background to get to. But um, that did help me in building my library when I was doing so on limited funds and time. So give us your top 10. What are some must reads for our listening audience?
2: So I've already mentioned Robert Milligan's Reason and Revelation. I recommend that book because it gives a restoration heritage approach to being an effective Bible student on a very comprehensive level. And I think it's a good book for that reason I would I would recommend it strongly. The Great Commission by Robert Milligan not only does it have some valuable nuggets along the way but its overarching theme gives you a better understanding of how to preach the gospel effectively. I've mentioned The Kingdom of the Messiah by Carl Ketcherside, with the caveat that you should read it in concurrence with Lipscomb's civil government. And I'll say if you wait a while to read it, read it in con- concurrently with George Batty's commentary on Revelation <laughs> because <laughs> that maybe wait 25, 30 years or something. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know <laughs> if that's a good recommendation. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, uh, ask George Batty for a good a good suggestion at least of something to read to get other insight into Revelation twenty than so just catch a side's position.
1: I have asked him this question for what it's worth, and he feels like some of the best material is Linsky, RCH Linsky and his commentary on Revelation. So Very interesting. Put that nugget out there for people. Read Linsky on Thank Revelation twenty.
2: Excellent. All right. Uh, number four will be George Fisher's Handbook on Evidences. It's not in print. You can access it on archive.org. George Fisher was a professor at Yale University. It's a very small book and easy to read. But to me, it was the most concise and digestible presentation on the integrity of biblical miracles and for a case for the resurrection of Jesus that I've ever read. I really, really enjoyed that book, and I think anyone could process it. It's not a new book, but it's not written in the old style. It's okay. written very simplistically, and uh, but authoritatively, because George Fisher was a true scholar who knew what he was talking about. David Lipscomb's Civil Government is a book I have to recommend. It was transformative to me. In the subject of the Christian's relationship with civil government, which I think is such a vital theme, especially for American Christians today, I think that the church here in this country, we're losing our identity as people who recognize that the kingdom of Messiah is something that is consuming the kingdoms of this world. It's, it, the kingdom of this world does not mesh with the kingdom of Messiah. And we need to be peaceful people. We need to be separated people who live as strangers and pilgrims here. And uh, Lipscomb's book is not exhaustive. Uh It's not the final word and everything you'll ever need to know about it, but it's valuable, Uh especially his discussion of Isaiah 10 and how God used the king of Assyria. It will show you that God doesn't need you. Uh He doesn't need me. To work in the nations of this world. He is so mighty in his providence that he can work through an unbeliever Mm -hmm. to accomplish his purposes. And so uh, this was very helpful to me on the issue of voting Mm -hmm. and whether or not Christians ought to vote. So that is a lot more of a core subject than some people, I think, give it credit for. If we don't understand that, we don't understand the kingdom. That's right. And we're going to miss out on a major aspect of the theology of the bible yes
1: that's hits home and the concept of the kingdom that's one reason i'm excited about your podcast on the book of acts is to preach about the kingdom Uh, a lot of times we approach the book of acts from a, a examples of salvation background exclusive i would say and though there is a lot about salvation there it's primarily about the coming of the kingdom and the fact that Christ reigns from heaven right now. It blows my mind that there's whole realms of theology, like dispensationalism, that argues the kingdom is not here and that Christ is not reigning, when you have a book that's dedicated to that very fact. And if we would understand truly the concept of the nature of the kingdom and what it means to be a member of God's kingdom, there's a lot of other stuff that fall by the wayside.
2: Certainly. In fact, for those who don't know, the theme, the title of my current study on the book of Acts is The Kingdom is Here. The introduction, that's what the whole introduction to the book is about, is the, that that's the, that's the theme of the book. And uh, what I believe is the heartbeat of Luke's message there. To add to Lipscomb's civil government, I would say The Spirit and the Word by Z.T. Sweeney. For this reason particularly, that book, in a very simple way, helped me understand the role of the paraclete or the holy spirit's unique work in the apostles and uh, that was very integral and transformative in my theology of the holy spirit which has gone through ups and downs and changed its shape and form as i've come to better understand old testament passages we talk about not knowing the old testament not knowing the old testament gave me a skewed view of the kingdom, gave me a skewed view of the Holy Spirit and many other things. But Z.T. Sweeney's book, it's not a 14 karat goal. But his arguments for the the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles, and I think his arguments that the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the passage that says he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, connecting that to Acts 2, that was very powerful. And if you listen to my podcast, you'll see that as years have rolled on, I still agree with it and still uh, preach it that way. So I love that book for that reason. It was very helpful, giving me some bearings on the Holy Spirit.
1: Both the Holy Spirit and the kingdom concepts. I think we just start the discussion of both topics in the wrong place. If you start them in the book of Acts, you're going to have difficulty understanding fully the concepts that are being put before you. The kingdom is not a new concept. It's what the prophets dwelt on, and the spirit was part of that vision. And so we have to have that basic foundation to understand what Luke's given us in both his gospel and in the book of Acts. Great stuff. Give us another one.
2: All right. The next one would be T.W. Brent's The Gospel Plan of Salvation. You can listen to this on David Griffin's Restoration Audiobooks. Its weaknesses are that. Dr. Brentz did not understand Calvinism as well as he thought that he did, and a lot of his attacks against Calvinism will be rebutted by a Calvinist saying, "Well, that's not what I believe." Uh, so his his refutation of total hereditary depravity is not very valuable, but his presentation of other issues can be very valuable. So parts of the book are good, parts of the book are bad, parts of the book fight straw men and you know listen to the other side and recognize if you learn an argument from Brents but it's a straw man argument just set it aside and don't make it anymore it doesn't do any good. But a lot of things you'll learn from Brents will be very valuable. I've known people who were raised up in the churches of Christ and one day they're not sure if baptism really must be by immersion. Uh-huh. This is indicative that they've never read T.W. Brand's Gospel Plan of Salvation. Uh-huh. If you read that book, there'll be no question. Uh-huh. Fundamental, vital issues like that. His chapter on the good confession is excellent. Uh, one of the best articles, well, this is a little side note. Read that in conjunction with D.S. Burnett's uh, article on The Good Confession, which you can get in Living Pulpit of the Christian Church, edited by W.T. Moore. But Brent's book is very good. And the fact that it's a monster of a book, it's a huge book, but David Griffin has made it fully available in audio form. There's no excuse. Uh Get a copy of it. Listen to David read it. Read it along with David. You will learn a great deal. And it will help shore up your convictions when you go to approach valuable resources that have been produced by reformed and Calvinistic people.
1: One caveat on Brent's gospel sermons, it's never been reprinted. It was originally printed by Gospel Advocate, but it hasn't been reprinted by the and because he has a sermon in there on the millennial reign that he's way off base on. And so that's always my caveat. I think there's a lot of really good material in that book, but I just tell people, skip the chapter on the millennial reign. It's it's Well, I want to say
2: one other thing, and I think this is important. When we're talking about the restorers, this is a big deal. But the restorers were wrestling in their mind even about the nature of God. Now, I don't believe in historic premillennialism. Brent was not a dispensationalist. Mm -hmm. He was a historic premillennialist. And so when you read his article, there'll be things you don't agree with. But at the end, you'll think, well, this man believed the gospel just like I did. Uh, as far as the essence of what it meant to be a Christian, and he just believed in a stage of the kingdom on earth that I think was uh, not really based on a good interpretation of Scripture. Brent's most dangerous article of anything that he wrote is in Gospel Sermons. Now, I'm recommending Gospel Plan of Salvation, which is another book, but Gospel Sermons contains a sermon called The Sonship of Christ, in which Brent teaches that Jesus was a created being. He teaches essentially the Jehovah's Witness concept of Jesus and denies the Trinity. This does not seem to permeate all of Brent's writings. You would not guess this Uh everywhere. But when you realize that's what he believes, sometimes you'll pick up. Maybe he didn't believe in the personality of the Holy Spirit either. Uh And so uh, those are big things. Uh Those are huge bones. Yes, But there's still a lot of meat Again, as long as you know that, and I think it's important to to say that when we talk about T.W. Brent's, he wasn't the only man who held those aberrant views in the restoration, but he was one.
1: This is really good, and this is to the point whether we're reading Church Christ background books, restoration books, uh, reform books, there's baggage. They're all written by men, and they're going to have baggage with it. Um, Even books written by our own brethren can have baggage with it, and you have to read with a critical mind. That's why I think it's important to develop critical thinking. What's well, it's important not to read in isolation, to have a sounding board that you can discuss what you're reading with someone to help you walk through some of the difficult portions. One of the, I guess the positive, I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but when a guy presents a wrong position, you have the wrong position in writing so that you can sit down and you can answer it. I think that's an important practice to walk through. In my books, when I'm reading along, I, I disagree with the writer. I mark in the side that I disagree, and then I put why I disagree. And if I can't explain why I disagree right now, I need to stop and I need to think about and try to articulate why and at what point I diverge with the writer for my own sake and also for the sake of someone that picks up the book later on down the
2: road. Mm. That's a good idea. I don't write in my books. <laughs> yeah. I always take notes on my computer, but yeah. that's a good idea. And I hope that people who excavate my library someday don't think that I endorsed everything that I read in it. But uh, that's what I would say about Brent's gospel plan of salvation. Now in the same vein, there was another restoration writer named Islet Rains. Islet Raines only ever wrote one book to my knowledge. He was a Presbyterian who moved from Presbyterianism to Universalism. Then he became acquainted with the principles of the gospel under the preaching of Alexander Campbell, and he became a Christian. And he wrote a book called A Refutation of the Doctrine of Total Hereditary Depravity. It is an excellent book that's been reprinted. Uh, There's some sort of a company called The Gospel Armory, I think it is, that, that has reprinted this book. And I strongly recommend it. Islet Rains knew the doctrine of total hereditary depravity. He was not an outside critic, but he was a man who had believed it and come out of it. And his handling of it is marvelous. Uh, It's written in an old style, but yet again, David Griffin has it available on Restoration Audiobooks. So I recommend pick up a copy, read through it. You'll find this difficulty that the Gospel Armory reprint is a different edition than David's. So there's some material in David's that is not in the reprint. I think David's reading a second edition. The Gospel Armory has reprinted the first edition. But uh, nonetheless, I strongly recommend you own a copy and you listen to it and read it. This This is the foundation stone of Reformed and Arminian teaching. In fact, that's what the subtitle of the book is, The Foundation of Calvinism and Arminianism destroyed. Okay. And if you can understand this and internalize it, it'll be tremendously helpful in your theology. Nice. Uh, another book I would recommend, I just read it last year, but my was good, was William Henry Green's The Formation of the Old Testament Canon. William Henry Green was a professor at Princeton University. He wrote his book in, if I remember, it was in the late 19th century. It is written in the old style, but not as bad as Sam. It's it's navigable. I had a group of teenagers and early 20s people read through it, and they did just fine reading through it and answering my uh, review quizzes. Even though it was written before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's still very relevant. Uh, Good scholars will tell you that the Dead Sea Scrolls did not really shed any light on the Old Testament canon. Mm -hmm. They didn't give anything that's tangible to change anyone's convictions about that. The real data for understanding how the Old Testament canon was formed and the legitimacy of the Tanakh structure in particular Uh is data that's been around for a long time. And Dr. Green does a marvelous job. One of the most valuable things in his book is he will help you develop an appreciation of the Old Testament free from the poisoning influences of German theological liberalism. A lot of modern literature has been touched by 19th century theological liberalism, and it's subtle. And you can have very conservative writers who have kind of made a name for themselves by using the tools of theological liberals in the 19th century and trying to put a conservative spin on them They don't realize these tools are fundamentally broken. Some of them are. Not all of them, but some of them are. And William Henry Green was a brilliant man who will help you understand that and navigate that and come out with a pure and pristine trust in the Old Testament that I think is absolutely essential. I don't really have a good equivalent on the New Testament canon. There's been a lot of material. I'm going to be reading Michael Kruger's book, The Canon. Revisited in the canon question. Uh, I can't remember what some of them are called, but I've heard good things about them. William Henry Green, not much out there on the Old Testament. This is a must read, a must read. Nice. And then the last one I would recommend is C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I I may not have ever said this in the past. It is so different from any of the other books I've mentioned here.
1: Yeah.
2: And so different from most anything most people probably associate with me reading. (laughs) But I read it last year. It's a book that I strongly recommend you read with someone else. Mm-hmm. Lewis will tell you he's not a theologian, and it shines through. His handling of the biblical text is often very poor. He was a philosopher. He was an atheist who worked his way to faith in Christ. He was an Anglican, which has its good points and it's bad. If you know Protestant evangelicalism. You know that there's some, as evangelicals go, Anglicans have some things going for them, but they also have some major problems. But if you can find a good, mature, spiritually-minded person, a good student of the Bible to read this book with, especially if you're a young person, man or woman, this book will help you. It'll help you have tremendous confidence in the existence of God, It'll help your approach to apologetics be more mature. I won't dwell on this for a long time, but to those who understand these expressions, you'll understand what I mean. The ontological argument of Anselm that if we can think about God, he must exist, that always seemed real weak to me. It seemed almost meaningless. I didn't even care for it uh, as an apologetics argument when I saw it on paper. But when I read Lewis's opening chapters, he talked about the moral argument as the door into the building of apologetics. And if you go in by that door, then everything else begins to make sense and you can appreciate it more. That's not a fair analysis of mere Christianity, but for those who are good apologetic students, I just want to say he's absolutely right. And if you read his book, it will turn the light on. It will make your reasoning about apologetics so much more robust and meaningful. And there's other things. His, his comments on sexuality are very, very valuable. Not all of them, but some of them are very valuable and uh, very good insight for people who are being raised in a very a post-Christian uh, society. So that's those are my top 10.
1: I appreciate that, Clint. I appreciate you taking the time to make out your top 10 list and for blocking off some time this week to join us on the program and share some really good reading insights, reading tips, some good authors, some good books, walking us through some of the pros and cons of these lists. And for all the work that you're doing, I appreciate your work on the podcast, appreciate your gospel preaching and the work you do not only in this country, but abroad and the training of young men in particular. I really appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom, and I want to wish you God's speed, and hope that our paths cross again soon.
2: Thank you very much, brother.
1: To our listening audience, I want to say thank you for tuning in for today's episode. If you have any questions about the material we've covered today, please send us a message at christianresearcher at com. Thank you for listening, and tuning in again next week for another discussion of bible reading materials thanks have a great day oh,
0: the praise is yours on your worthy worthy of all. our god is ever almighty he's ever almighty to save our god is ever almighty Ever almighty, always our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty. To